Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Hello, authors. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with sci-fi and fantasy author Phil Asmunson, and he's talking to us on writing character perspective. Phil touches upon the research and elements which make up his fascinating trilogy, how he wrote from a 16-year-old girl's perspective being an older male, shares his tips for authors looking to write from character perspectives other than their own, and tells all on his unique self-published journey and much more. So in my author adventure this past week, I had the literary speed dating event, which was held by the ASA, that's the Australian Society of Authors. And my pitches, I had two, and I chose agent Melanie Ostell and University of Queensland Press Claire Hume to pitch to. And it's done through Zoom um, with, obviously, your chosen person and somebody from the ASA facilitating. And you have three minutes to pitch to them. And, uh, yeah, it went really well, although I was slightly nervous. I, w- I wasn't as nervous as I have been in the past because I've been putting myself out there for practising. And uh, yeah, with Claire, she said that she loved my middle grade series idea and would like to see my work. So fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting any feedback I can from her or fingers crossed more. So we'll see how that goes. But I just can't stress enough how absolutely fabulous this opportunity is for authors. And if you, you know, if you're not an ASA member, become one and get join this this thing, because honestly, it's 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 a chance to get your work in front of a publisher or an agent face to face actually pitch them directly and you know apart from the conferences and stuff there's not not much out there like this and it was just fantastic so honestly look it up it it gets held often um so highly recommend that So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at www.buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. So that's enough for me. Let's crack on with the episode. Phil Asmunson grew up as an outdoor kid who built miles of trails through the woods and created adventures that lived only in his mind. After a 33-year career at Deloitte and Touche, he began researching Southwest myths, discovered the Tartums legend, and brought them to life in his debut trilogy. He's always had a passion for science and is fond of saying, true science is indistinguishable from magic. Phil and his wife, Kim, currently live in Arizona, where they own Deep Sky Vineyard and spend their nights looking at the stars. And that's where he joins us from today. Incredible bio, Phil. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. 
That's great to be here, Joanne. I look forward to our discussion. Oh, well, from your bio, it sounds like you've had quite an imagination as from a young age. Can you tell us how did you decide to take the plunge and put these ideas on paper after so many years, you know, building them up in your mind? You know, I, I, I was a very imaginative kid. You know, I, I, I love to create things. And yes, I did build, I truly did build about 20 miles of trails through the woods. But I found I like to tinker with things and create something out of nothing. And to me, especially when I first started writing, that's what I was trying to do because I didn't really fully understand writing at that time. But one story I, I, I've always told people is one of the things I did in Connecticut was I built miniature golf courses out in the woods. And I would rake the ground and get it all cleaned out. I would use cat food cans for, for the cups of, of the golf course. We used coffee cans to create tunnels. I would go down since Connecticut had a lot of winter you know, snow. We had sand in the roads in the spring and I'd dig it all up and put it, bring it. That's what I used in sand traps and, and I used plastic from construction sites. I may have taken that you know, illegally, but you know, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Um, and that's what I used to make ponds. And so creating things comes naturally to me. You know, there's one thing I learned early on in, in, in my life. I was not really good at writing. I, I didn't really enjoy it. In fact, I didn't really find my love of writing until I went to graduate school uh, in 1990. You know, it was then that I fell in love with the written word and, and I started to explore it. Really, it was, it was probably more towards the end of uh, the 1990s to early 2000 that I started writing for personal enjoyment. One of the things I did is I took a crack at writing what I would call children's stories, something called Rosie Tales, but that Tales is T-A-I-L-S. It was about my dog who was a German short hair pointer. And uh, I wrote these books to be kind of a guide to families when they were getting a dog, how to teach their children to respect the pet as a member of the family. I had a blast doing it. I never did publish them. I basically just gave them away and customized it for people who wanted it. And instead of having my character's name in there, I put one of their children's names in there. <laughs> and um, it was just a ball to do. And, and uh, I really wanted to keep going. But my career at Deloitte started taking off. I was promoted to a vice chairman. And all of a sudden, I was traveling the world. And uh, I, I kind of stopped writing for a little bit. And it wasn't until about 2009 that I stumbled upon the Tartums. Uh, and at that point, I really decided I wanted to start writing. And so I started to look for these ideas. And of course, I found this myth. And we were building a house in Arizona. And, and, and I was just researching all these legends, more than just the Tartans, legends about treasure, because there's more legend in Arizona than any other state in the United States. The reason I fell in love with the Tartums is because they were different from humans. They, they were described as the little people of the Valley of the Sun. And that intrigued me because if you've ever been in Arizona, you'll see there's craggy hills and very desolate areas. And as I looked up at the mountains that surround our house, I said, I know there's something up in those mountains that are different from us. And so I just wanted to bring it to life. And that's, that was really my, my aha moment, if you will, that got me to do this. You know, I sat down and thought about it for a while before I started writing. It was just a, it was a labor of love, quite honestly. That is incredible. What a story. Do you do you still have any of the Rosie Tales little books you made or they were solely for the purpose of sharing with the, the community? Oh, I have all the, you know, oh. the, the, the documents for it, but I, I, I would just, there was a custom printer um, when we lived in Connecticut and I just go down there. I had some simple graphics. I'm not a very good artist. I mean, I tell people stick men are a challenge for me. So <laughs> I've, I've always thought about maybe going back there and finishing it because, you know, it, it was typical things, you know, 
you know, Rosie finds a home, you know, Rosie's first Christmas, you know, things like that. And Rosie gets lost. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, that's incredible, especially from such a young age as well. Uh, so your debut sci-fi fantasy trilogy, The Tartums, do you, can you tell us a bit about that? Tell us a bit about the book. So it, so it follows the adventures of 16-year-old Alexa Kinnock. Correct. So, so the story um, is, is set in modern time, you know, right now. And, uh, but the book actually starts off 65 million years ago. And that was something called the, the KT event. Uh, I'm very deep in science. There's, these books are written in, uh, to be very entertaining, but also all the science is real. I mean, this is real stuff that goes on. And uh, I've had a lot of people who've read it come back and say, I learned more from reading these books than I ever learned in a science class before. It, you know, it's, it's, it follows Alexa, who's, whose father disappeared 12 years ago to the day that the story starts off. Under very mysterious circumstances, he was a treasure hunter looking for treasure in the Arizona mountains, and he just went in there one day and never came back. And uh, she realizes it's going to be a tough day for her mother because it's his anniversary. And lo and behold, out of the blue, he's discovered in the desert, naked, no idea where he is, but he mutters his name, and then he collapses into a coma. And so all of a sudden, her father's back, and she doesn't know how to deal with this. And uh, uh, Alexa is quite a studious, shy girl, and suddenly she's thrust into a lot of activity around her, and she's not really sure how to deal with it. And it's, it's, it's what happens is her father, Jeff, slowly starts to recover and starts to regain his memory. Uh, and so when he does, he, she discovers that he was with these Tartums, and they are actually not humans they are aliens from another planet and they are here on earth because they're mining a material that they need uh in order to sustain their their, their planet's atmosphere this is getting into some of the you know the, the yes. type of things. <laughs> and that material was deposited on earth in that kt event and the kt event is what killed the dinosaurs it was a large asteroid that hit earth and so they're here and so she goes on on on, on this adventure to discover where he'd been and it leads her to Aza who's the head of the Taratums, and he tells her that her father had been with him on their planet Yandola. And while there, he did something that changed the Taratums, that has split their, their, their society in half, and they're about to go to war. Her father was the answer to a first part of a prophecy, but Alexa is the answer to the second part. And if she can't fulfill it, the universe will cease to exist. So she goes off on this adventure and it just follows her. Book one really is about trying to find out what happened to her father. Book two is they're racing around Earth, trying to stay one step ahead of, quote unquote, the bad guys. Uh, And she's learning all about these new forces that are all around her, the four forces, which, uh, you know, surprisingly, unless you're really deep into science, very few people know what they are. But they're they're, two are very obvious, gravity and the electromagnetic. The other two aren't so much. So it's the strong force, which is the force that holds the nucleus of an atom together. And the other is the, elect- the, uh, the weak force, which allows for different elements to be created because it transforms something that allows you to build heavier and heavier and heavier elements. And without those, there would be no lights in the sky. There'd be no life. There'd be no planets. There'd be nothing. There would be no matter. And yet she's going to learn to control these in a very unique and interesting way. And she's going to have to do it if she's going to succeed. Mm, wow, that's very intriguing. And yeah, very real life topics as well. Fantastic. Is, is this obviously your passion as well for this subject comes through? Uh, is, is this the kind of, these are the kind of books you, you grew up reading yourself? 
You know, um, I was never a big reader as a young person. I, 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 I very studious in college. Once I got to college, I read everything. I, I have a very unusual degree. I have an accounting degree from the University of Oregon. It's a Bachelor of Science because I studied science for three of those four years in college. But I always knew I wanted to go back and get an MBA. So I took a lot of the lower level business classes. I, I actually was a geology physics major. And we were at the time, this was back in the 70s. So we were monitoring Mount St. Helens when it blew. And I think that eruption really um, launched me into having an unbelievable passion for, for what was going on in the world. And the power of nature yeah. is infinitely more powerful than anything man could do. And so I just devoured all things science. And it just struck me that, that um, understanding science, like I was a big fan of like the Harry Potter books and, and, and they were fun. And I, I read all sorts of things. But, uh, you know, when I read those, I said, wow, this is really creative. J.K. Rowling did an incredible job. And, and so a lot of the times when I was writing, I said, maybe I can do something like this. And, and, um, but to do that, you kind of have to create a whole other world. And that's why that tagline I have of, of science in its purest form is indistinguishable from magic, but infinitely more powerful. That's what I tried to bring out of the book. And so that's what readers learn about is that, oh, my God, gravity is much more than, you know, the apple falling on Newton's head. It, it determines much of our bodies. It determines our blood pressure. It determines our height. It determines our strength of our bones and our muscles, and all those things. By the way, it also is the creator of stars. The sky what? would be dark if it wasn't for gravity. That's incredible. So, you know, so I started using all that in the story and I started pushing it all in. And, and you know, you have a question of, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting it published, but we'll get to that one later because yes. you'll find out. Man, I was all over the map. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I was lost. <laughs> uh, well, honestly, we could go off and talk about so many different things. But today's topic is uh, writing character perspective. And uh, so, as you've stated, the, the Tartums trilogy follows the adventures of 16-year-old Alexa Kinnar. And uh, so how is it you sort of decided on a female teenage protagonist, you know, being an older male? Was it just what came to you or was it um, like a targeted decision? Or how, how have you found writing from that perspective? And has there been any challenges, obviously, writing from somebody completely opposite from yourself, I suppose? <laughs> Well, you know, I think I had some advantage. I had two daughters and, and I had oh, lovely. <laughs> and, um, so, so the two daughters were very challenging and I, I learned a little bit about uh, teenage girls at, at one point in time, but in, but in fairness to them, I, I travel a lot for business. I, I have over 9 million miles on commercial airlines, which is disgusting. And um, so I didn't get to see them grow up a lot. So I was pretty out of touch with what a teenage girl was all about. But the reason I picked a woman, I picked it very early on. Um, is that uh, I, I was in the technology field. I, for Deloitte, I was global leader for telecommunications, but I was U.S. leader for technology, media, and telecommunications. You know, there were very few women in, in science, technology, engineering, and uh, mathematics. They just weren't there. They're underrepresented. And that bothered me for some reason. I said, wow. And, you know, I don't think I was thinking about it maybe when I first decided to have a female protagonist. But it, it, it became all-encompassing to me. I really wanted to write this story once I got going to try to get more young women involved in, in, in STEM. And so that, that was a big influence on, you know, on, on why I picked a young girl. The second was a little bit different. I am an ardent fan of a show called How the Universe Works. And they have a lot of really good people who speak on that show. But there's one woman in particular, I've always loved her insights and her passion for science. 
And that's a woman by the name of Michelle Fowler. And I'm actually on Facebook. I'm a member of a group called Get Michelle Fowler, her, her, her own um, uh, science program. Uh, but, you know, just the way she talked about it and how excited she was about it, I said, you know, maybe that's what we need in STEM. We need more women to come in here and put a little excitement into this stuff. And so, you know, I got right there on day one. And, and um, uh, so, so I, just, I just, you know, kind of lucked into it. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it was hard to do. I mean, it really was kind of a difficult process to get there because I, I started, I didn't really know how to write in, in a young girl's tone. Um, I, I, I didn't quite understand certainly the difference in feelings and emotions that, that, that women have compared to men. Now I learned. Uh, and so I had to go out and find all that stuff out there. And so, oh, and by the way, just, just before I forget this, because I will, Alexa actually means defender of mankind. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect name. I I, yeah. I think I had to change that to humankind in the book because, you know, someone would get mad at me, but, but uh, that is actually what her name means. And uh, I picked that specifically because that's, and, and I picked that by the way, before Alexa from Amazon was even around I started writing <laughs> yeah. speaking before that. But, um, you know, I had to try to understand a teenager's perspective. I had to do a lot of work to be able to do that. First off, I shared my writing with two of my daughters who, who gave me a lot of information and quite frankly, maybe too much. They told me, you don't, you don't understand us at all. And, you know, I, I just didn't quite get what they really, you know, what, what a young girl would be thinking about this. So I started having some friends who had children who were girls and I had them read passages. I didn't give them the whole book. I just said, could you read this? And you know, here's a dialogue between Alexa and her boyfriend, Jack. Would this be a reasonable conversation? And I just got crazy. It looks like, you know, what is wrong with you? Um, and so I had to learn. And um, I asked my wife, you know, and women I worked with who had daughters to give me advice. And, um, you know, some of the advice I received were things like, you know, they liked characters who were honest and, and with their feelings. They didn't like people who were you know, kind of secretive. Men can to hold, tend to hold our feelings in. Women show their feelings out there. And uh, so I had to learn to do that because I, you know, from my perspective, I probably recalled some of that. They thought Alexa should be smart, creative, and independent. She wasn't reliant on Jack. She had this new boyfriend, but no, nope, she's in charge of herself. Don't make, don't, don't mix that up or you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> they said Alexa should have a best friend. And I didn't have that originally. And I asked them why. And they said, well, because girls always have a best friend. There's always someone that they want to relate to and, and share their secrets with and you know, be able to kind of explore the world together. That played a huge role in how I developed the character Sharon, who, uh, who she calls Cher because they, as, as they said, they, they share everything in life together. That's great. They also told me hugging is a big part because I never had that in one of my original <laughs> manuscripts. And I said, what do you mean hugging? They said, girls hug. <laughs> I am a non-hugger. I admit it. I have never been a hugger. There was a woman who worked for me who used to love to hug and I had no idea what to do. I stand with my arms out away from my body, scared to hell. <laughs> uh, um, and and so you know just all that process helped me but the biggest one I had that I started off with which I got totally wrong was and as my wife and a couple other people said there's no way Alexa and her mother have that nice relationship she's a 16 year old girl they hate <laughs> each other <laughs> yeah. and and for some reason I I got it wrong because because I just decided that you know um she only knew had one parent. And so, 
maybe that's why I thought they would be closer. But in reality, as I talked to some families that were from, from one parent and two parents, girls, and, and, and I would go down to a local high school and say, can I, do you have a book club? Can I come in here and have some of, of some young, young women read, read these passages? I'll give them to you, you can read them. And then they can tell me what they think. I mean, they, the one thing about teenagers is they're incredibly honest to the point of painful at times. <laughs> so I had to take all that in and, and that, that really shaped who Alexa became because it wasn't what I was originally doing. I, I, and, and so I got that you know, badly wrong. You know, that's what you have to learn when you try to take on a role where you're not talking, you're not talking about someone you know really well. You're talking about, um, at one point I said, my God, my daughters are aliens. I mean, I don't <laughs> Perfect candidates then. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know, the reality is they're 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 really magical people. And uh, I, I I've enjoyed getting to understand the difference between the sexes a lot. And uh, I, I I wish I'd known this when my kids were growing up because my kids are all in their mid to late thirties now. Oh, it's, so, it's, uh, it's never too too late though, isn't it? And it sounds like even though it, you, it sounds like you made a conscious decision to choose a female protagonist, like a young one to represent more females in STEM, but it sounds like it's almost been uh, fate in a way. And I love how you've gone about obviously representing this character, seeking the voices of others and especially family and almost you know do you feel like it's brought it close you brought you closer to your daughters like you're saying you understand them a bit more now you understand the 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 young female form a bit more (laughs) well you know I do and and I've got a you know I've got a second at bat here because I have five granddaughters and two grandsons oh wow yeah yeah what was um was any of the information ever conflicting I think it sounds absolutely spot on with what um your your wife and your daughters have shared already especially um you know I can relate to that a lot was any of the feedback that you received from people conflicting I suppose of how they maybe wanted the character to be you know, they there were a, a number of people who um, they didn't like the fact that when she started off, she was she was quite shy. She was, you know, her biggest goal in life was to have a straight A average. And uh, you know, they said, "Well, how are you going to make that person become something ultra powerful?" And I said, "That's the transformation she has to go through, and you know, she's going to learn to do it with the help of her friends and her family." Um, and you know, all through all three books, she's constantly gay. she's constantly questioning herself but then doing something. And every time she does that, she gets more confidence and more confidence and more confidence. And in the end of the story, which I'm never going to give that away, no. she has to do something that for all intents and purposes seems absolutely impossible. And yet she sits back, she thinks of all the things she's learned about science and exactly how would I go about doing this? And she comes up with a solution. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's nip and tuck, you don't know, There's <laughs> bad things going to happen, but uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it, it was it was a fun adventure watching, quite frankly, the character evolve. And, and I didn't really know where it was going you know, originally. And uh, uh, when I got there, I literally when I remember finishing the third book um, prior to doing some other proofing and editing stuff. Uh, I, I, I just sat there and said, well, I, I cannot believe I did this. Oh, that's incredible. Well, it sounds like you've, you know, you've shared so much already about how you came up with your character and sort of brought stuff, substance to her by researching and, and seeking people out of that same age. Uh, do you have any tips for authors or hybrid authors listening who who would like to write from a different character's perspective, obviously, other than their own, like you have? Well, you know, obviously, um, th- there were two lessons from what I just talked about. Number one is ask for help. 
I mean, you cannot do this. It, it's so hard to step into somebody else's shoes. And that's, that may be one of the problems in the world here. We don't, we don't know how to step into other people's shoes and see the world from their eyes. And maybe that's why there's so much conflict in the world. But uh, okay. so, so, so ask for help because yeah, people are more than willing to. I mean, when I would tell them, oh, I'm writing a book about a 16 year old girl, the girls would be like, really? You know, does she look like me? Uh, how old is she? When's her birthday? I'm like, oh, I don't know any answers to those things. Um, but so, so ask for help because people are willing to give it. And the second is, just know right up front, you're going to get it all wrong originally. It's just not going to work out. It's going to be, it's just, you know, it was that thing with, with, you know, Alexa and her parent being close because, you know, she only had one parent. Well, I discovered through conversations that, you know, one parent to a child is usually more difficult than two parents because there's two parents that can bounce it off. And so the, the child has either their father or their mother to go through or whatever the relationship is. But when they only have one, they've only got one point of contact and, and you know, it never works out quite as well when you can divide it, you know, divide and conquer, so to speak. The other thing I learned, and, and this took me a while, and if, if we talk about how I went through this whole process, you'll, you'll see why it took a while. You have to understand that every character in every story evolves in one manner or another. And so what Alexa is in the beginning of the story is a shadow of what Alexa is at the end of the story. And so you need to, you need to plan on how that's going to happen because it's going to change the relationship. So in the case of her mother, she struggled with her mother, but then her father came back and she wanted to know more about her father. Well, the only person who had the answers to that was her mother. And so they started to become closer while she was trying to, even before he regained consciousness, trying to understand, you know, like, like there's a wonderful scene I loved where, her mother is telling him about the man in front of them that, that uh, they both love. You know, he, she says something, you might not believe this, Alexa, but you have your father's uh, hair. And she's like, no, I don't. And, and you, know, you know, suddenly as she starts looking at the man, she realizes that, oh my God, I do have his hair. She tells her, her that, uh, you know, your father, when you were born, he came in and he took one look at you and he said, oh, great. She's got flat ears. And, <laughs> She says, well, what does that have to do with life? He says, well, your father had a friend who had, you know, had dumbo ears and ears that stuck out. He didn't want you to have dumbo ears. And to this day, he was always happy that you had flat ears. And, you know, so little things like that that started to get her to know her father even before he woke up. And, um, and, and so, you know, you know it's, it's that type of stuff that she's going. When she starts to get more powerful, here she is. She, she really does this adventure with three other friends, her best friend, Sharon, her boyfriend, Jack, and kind of a guide, Derek, who is a, who's a Native American Indian. And there's a lot of Native American themes throughout the entire story. I wanted to get that in there as well, because I'm fascinated by the Native Americans. Right. They truly are mystical people. As she grows, her relationships with all of them change. And, you know, she goes from kind of following Jack to everyone following her. And she suddenly realizes my role is different. They're looking to me. And she's not used to being in that world. So you're going to have to, in any story that's going to happen, so figure out what it is she's going to have to learn along the way and, and give examples of how she learned it. And, you know, you know, as hard as it was, it was the most wonderful thing to do, to, to, to watch her revolve. Even to the point there's a poignant line in there when she realizes as she's coming to this, you know, the kind of the culmination of the story that she you know, has this awful realization that she's going to become a killer. There's no option about it. If she's going to protect the one she loves, she's going to have to kill her. And, and so this is radically different than what she was. And, and this story takes place only over like three or four months. Yeah. Uh, and so how fast this all happens to her. But it was wonderful to try to get through that process. And I think anyone who wants to do it, 
you're going to do multiple rewrites more than if you had something typical to yourself. That doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> because you come out understanding a whole another group of people that are different from you a lot better because you've kind of stepped into their shoes. That's it. Yeah. And it sounds like you've really, uh, you know, gone so deep and detailed and you sound like you're so connected to Alexa and your world, which is incredible. How how long did the, the process take for you to uh-huh. kind of, <laughs> that too heavy a question, I guess, from the idea to the end of the book or writing, we'll get into the publishing in a minute. I, I literally started writing this story probably in, in, in 2010 or so, and I wrote it on airplanes. I, I, I traveled the world. As I said, I had all those miles on airplanes. I, uh, when I was coming home from China or Australia or Europe, I would write it on the airplanes. And the problem with that process was, was I'd have flashes of brilliance, and then I wouldn't touch it for a couple of months. And then I had to come back, and I had to start reading all the way from the beginning again and start all over again. And I... I didn't truly know how to write. And this, this kind of goes part and parcel to getting it published. But, but um, you know, I didn't, I, mean, I paid no attention to standard word count. I mean, I just babbled on. And I did a whole bunch of crazy things like I, all those myths I researched. I just incorporated them all in there. And they became side stories that had no relevance to the real story. And my character development was weak. I mean, I just, I, mean, I was a business writer, not a, not a fiction writer. And so I, I, I just, was all over the place as I weaved all these different legends into the story, principally because I liked it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I ended up meeting a guy by the name of Mike Garrett, who uh, was a freelance editor and, and he and I talked and he said, well, why don't you let me edit your first book? And, you know, he, he sent me the edit back accompanied with a 40 page document of things I was doing wrong. <laughs> and, and he basically started off, he says, okay, look, this is a 40 page document and you've got so many errors in this thing. It's a joke, but your storytelling is fantastic. So I had to learn how to do all that. You know, he taught me, honestly, that's how I learned to write was, was my key. He, he really gave me the discipline to think through all of this. And uh, when I was finally done with him, that would have probably been about 2018. I, it was still two years before I even was ready to publish because I realized how many errors I went. I, I went back and rewrote it. And, and I found because he taught me what to do um, that I now didn't want to accept stuff that shouldn't be done, that it was it, it, it was difficult. You know, I, I didn't like it. And I find I can't read a book now without editing. And yeah. I mean, major league authors out there. And I, I, I can't get through two chapters without finding like seven different errors. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Michael destroyed my ability to read for fun anymore. <laughs> but he uh, gave you a critical eye, which is something even better. <laughs> he did. He really did. And, and he was a, 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 a very nice guy who he read all three books, which I told him he, he has, a, he, he's, he's got a real uh, desire for, for, for pain. But uh, he said, no, I'm really interested in what you're doing. These are, these are fabulous yeah. stories. There's nothing like them out there. And, yeah. Um, in fact, he told me I taught him more about science than he taught me about writing. So Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. That's amazing. Well, how um, I, I read in your Amazon bio that, uh, you know, you took an unusual path to publishing your first book. Can you t- touch on that and the publishing process you've gone through? Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, Mike, Mike encouraged me to, to go out and, and um, um, see if I could get, a, you know, you know a, a, a agent and stuff like that. And uh, I had a, a good friend of mine who's written probably about 50 books and he's always self-published. And 
um, when I spoke to him, he says, look, he says, you can always find an agent later. Why don't you just go and do some self-publishing? So I said, great. I know how to do this. I'm a tech guy. Well, <laughs> you know, this all happened in the summer of 2020. And all three books were already complete at that point in time, in my mind. But I realized at that point, I had absolutely no idea what the process of self-publishing was all about. None. I, I didn't understand ISBNs. I didn't understand copywriting. I didn't understand any of that stuff. So I found that I was just getting mired down in details that probably were not really worthwhile for me to worry about. And so I ended up um, hiring a, you know, a firm to come in and help me. And they, they, they really did everything for me from you know, a whole other round of editing, all the proofreading, you know, formatting, uh, cover design, files formatted for Amazon. You know, the list goes on and on, figuring out the meta words, all that stuff. And you know, I'm like, meta what? You know, this and that. But at the end of the day, I, I, I really started to understand how the process worked. But all three of these books came out one month after another. So it was March, April, and May. And so since that time, I, I've, I've been doing podcasts and stuff like that. But I haven't adequately marketed them yet. And part of that was um, a month after we published the third book, um, my wife and I bought a house back in Connecticut that, uh, so that's where all our grandkids are because we wanted to spend more time with them. And then I ended up having some very bad knee problems. I hadn't done any of that yet. And this is my, in fact, I, I was listening to one of your podcasts where you had the guy who's, I won't remember his name right now, really a, a, an influencer on social media. Oh, Holden. Yeah. yeah he, yes. he was fascinating, fascinating <laughs> person. So I'm getting uh, excited to do that. And I've got some plans on how to do that, but you know, the whole, the whole publishing thing is still kind of a blur to me because I literally started, I literally started doing the re-editing process in November of 2020. So COVID's still going rampant. And here I am doing cover designs in January. And so, you know, somebody asked me what it was like and I said, I don't know. And they said, what do you mean? I said, it was way too busy and there was way too much going on. And I really don't remember any of it, yeah. um, but it all came together and it got out there and but now it's time to go to that next step. I got to listen to the Holden interview a couple more times. He, 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 he's something else. Yeah, he's um, he's incredible here. Uh, yeah, influencer and just just shares a lot of himself as well online. I, I don't know if you've started following him or whatever, but he's he's got um, a new. I um, haven't, but I should yeah. follow him. It's um, so it sounds like you you've obviously through the publishing route. It, it's publishing and is is ever evolving, and especially with self publishing, there's just so much to learn i i um seek a traditional deal for my children's fiction but self-published non-fiction books and the print audio is my forte but the print versions has been a whole other board ball game and i have you know you can't see behind me here i've got i've got about five copies of one book of different sizes different this just all playing around to get it correct so it sounds like it's good that you've gone down you know the route where I i don't know if i'd call it hybrid authorship i mean the company that you went through would you call them like what what would you call them are they like a like a distributor or do they just specifically publish help authors publish their books and market them and things like that because i know with publishing you can have traditional they can be traditional houses that actually offer their service which is kind of hybrid authorship i suppose in my mind hybrid authorship is someone who has the traditional deal with the agent and then they're self-publishing themselves but there is different different avenues for it 
Yeah, these guys were more, um, you know, I'd almost call it outsourcing. I mean, being, you know, Deloitte & Touche is a very large, in fact, it's the largest professional private firm in the world and, and uh, you know, consulting and all the other things that we do there. Outsourcing would be another one. And so I, I would call them outsourcing. They're kind of a one-stop, you know, you got to perform your stuff, but then they're going to perform all their stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I just kind of looked at it and said, the, the, the time it will take me to learn this is just not worth my time. And you know, there are some things I, I wish I'd paid maybe a little bit more attention to a class, you know, so to speak. You know, they're a good group. They understand me. They know kind of my background now. You know, one of the things that's come out of this, because uh, I did do a lot of work in social media when I was when I was uh, working, we had a, basically a media report that kind of reported how media was being transmitted from my, from my media practice. So I, I had started down a path Last year, I came up with the idea of the Tower Tums Science Forum. And what that is, is that's a, that's a, you know, a less than six minute video that takes on science topics and, mm-hmm. but they're fun science topics. So, yeah. and I've written nine episodes. I'm, I'm looking to get a YouTube channel in there and figure out all the other ways I want to distribute it. Uh, probably do a lot on Instagram, tagging all sorts of science teachers forums and, you know, physics teacher forums and all that. Because my whole goal, as I say, is to demystify science. It's not to be, science is very scary, wildly complicated formulas and outlandish concepts, numbers that are unfathomably large and unfathomably small. And so uh, I've got uh, 10 episodes already written. Uh, I've got a production company who will help me do them all. I've got videos and images and all that. Yep. Um, and so the idea is to get those to come out in the near term. And it's all tied into the book because in many, one of the videos, you know, I'll read a short passage in the book that relates to exactly what I just talked about. And so when I say fun things, there's fun things like why is the sunset red and yellow? Good reason why. Or how old is the light you see outside? And, you know, I kind of tease them along. I say, well, you know, the light left the sun eight and a half minutes ago. So it's obviously more than eight and a half minutes. The honest answer is about 100,000 years old. Wow. The photon of the light we see today was born in the core of the sun, and it takes about 100,000 years for it to get out of the sun because it's so massively dense. Yeah. Um, but, but then I get into headier ones like, you know, we'll go through the gravity, you know, the force of gravitation, the electromagnetic force, the strong, strong interaction, the weak interaction. And when I tie them all together, you see that everything around us, everything we see is, is created by these forces. And, uh, I think my favorite one is we're all just stardust. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. All the elements that make up our bodies are the result came from dead stars. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to use that to try to be a, a much broader push, you know, yes. kind of like what Holden does. I mean, he's got a really, you know, aggressive way to do it. And I don't know if I'm betting. I'm not as aggressive as he is. <laughs> no, it's about, I think, finding your style. And it sounds like you're absolutely on the right track by going through YouTube, Instagram. These are all places where I, I believe you obviously your target audience would reside and sharing information that links back to your book and the topics. And 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 it's, it's also interesting stuff. And, and you've got such a passion for it, I can see. So what can we currently expect from you in the future, Phil? Have you got more books in the pipeline uh, following on from this trilogy? Is Alexa Kinner going to continue <laughs> well what can we expect from you well i don't think i'll have like to continue i, I have been asked um if i would write something on asa who is lee tartan you know the history of asa but yep. you know i i think i pushed that back I, i've got actually three books that i've i've uh i've all, two of them are completely outlined the other one's in the process of it one of them's about halfway done the other one's about a quarter way done i don't know why i tend to jump back and forth but i like to take a shot at things that are 
that bothered me in the world and write a fictional story about it. So there's one of the stories, and these are all tentative titles, but it's called The Deadliest Weapon. Ooh. And it's really about the weaponization of social media. Uh, and you, know, you see what's going on with social media. There's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of really, really bad things about it. But it's how it, it, the whole story starts on the day Kennedy is assassinated. And they, they've been discussing a plot that is then buried forever. But what happens if this plot gets out and they use social media to create worldwide havoc? So that's that's one that I really like, and that's the one that's furthest along. The other, the other one though I, that I really have a passion for is what I call "Breakfast with an Empty Chair." I actually thought about this when I was in Sydney, Australia. I was sitting in a restaurant, and I was thinking back to an event where I was speaking at a Caribbean telecom conference, and how much I hated sitting at a table with no one else with me but an empty chair. This takes a really hard look at mental health. I'm an avid researcher. My my research for the Tar Tunnels, if you stacked all the papers up, is probably three and a half feet tall. <laughs> and I've done a lot of research for both of these too, but it looks at, you know, mental health has a, you know, it's, it's got a stigma or oh, these are people on drugs or it's people here. Well, the one who has the mental health problem problem is one of the most successful CEOs and he doesn't know it. And it's how he's slowly slipping into it because there's this chair that keeps showing up at this table. That's different than all the other chairs. And one day there's someone sitting in the chair and he's shocked. <laughs> and that person identifies himself as a doctor who's been sent to talk to him about his mental health. And uh, so that one's that one would be fun to do. And the other one just is called Death of an Individual. And, and that one, that, that's the least developed, but one I'd really like to do because I, you know, I'm watching the world. We're losing, we're losing the self, the sense of self for a sense of group. I mean, in the United States, when you look at how the Democrats and the Republicans have gone so far away from each other, and they all believe they all have to vote the same way. Well, that, no, that's not that's not the real world. I mean, you're an individual. You vote how you believe you should vote. The hell with your party. It doesn't matter. But we're losing that. And, and there's a lot of pointing the fingers and calling people not not very good names without any evidence whatsoever. And uh, so that one will will deal with that. And again, all of these are done in a fun way where someone comes upon something and then realizes, oh my God, this is deeper. And as they dig and dig and dig, they discover yeah. this this terrible thing that's going on. Yeah. Wow. Well, they both sound very intriguing and we can't wait to read them when they when you release them into the wild. And we also can't thank you enough for sharing your time and expertise, Phil. We're, we're finishing up now, but where can our listeners find you and your work on and offline? Well, I'll be looking for the Tower Tum Science Forum to be coming out soon. I, I also have a, a philipasmundson.com uh, website. Um, the Facebook Tower Tums got started and then I didn't quite get there. I, I, I've already had one knee replacement this year. I have a second one coming up in September. That's why I say 2023 is going to be my year. I lost 2020 and 2021 to COVID, 2022 to, to knees. So, uh, <laughs> Now I'm ready to go again, but I need to get through one more in September. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll look out for you then. Thank you again. That was fantastic. Thank you, Joanne. It was wonderful. Very nice meeting you. So there you have it, folks, the smooth storytelling of Phil as Munson, sharing some fabulous tips on writing characters unlike yourself. Next week on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have author and librarian Emily Paul, who's going to share her expertise on the role of a public librarian and how the library system works in Australia. 
Because in our industry, the book industry, librarians play a vital role in an author's career, almost as much as the booksellers. So we need to understand the ins and outs of their profession to help our own and support each other. And Emily is a fabulous advocate of books, authorship, and she's also a working librarian herself. So that's next week. And that's all for me. It's bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.